You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. People are unpredictable. They break the rules, they make mistakes, and they're easily hacked. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast. You know the show. This is the show where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hello, Dave. Got some good stories to share this week. Later in the show, I speak with Tim Sadler. He's from Tessian, and we're going to be talking about the human element of cybersecurity specifically some phishing schemes. Mm. And we are back. Joe, last week, my story was about a strange voicemail that was being sent out. What we figured out was that it was probably from scammers right. and that the scammers had been scammed. Hacked. Someone had, yes. had gone in and hacked their outgoing audio file that they right. were using. Right. Well, we heard from another listener who verified that that was indeed the case. Oh, uh, okay. And in fact, uh, this listener sent us a YouTube video that was made by a gentleman named Jim Browning, and he runs a YouTube channel where he uh, goes behind the scenes and basically scams the scammers or re- reveals what they're up to. Mm-hmm. And in this YouTube video, he does exactly what uh, we described last week. He replaces the outgoing audio file that the scammers are using. In fact, I pulled a bit of that uh, audio file for us to listen to, so... Uh, Uh, We'll play that right now. This is the file that he replaced their outgoing message with. Excellent. Thank you. And I decided to replace it with this. Hello. This is an automated message being sent from scammers from India. They were going to try to scam you by claiming that you would get a refund from your computer maintenance company. However, this is just a scam so that they can access your computer and will try to get money from your bank account. If you ever get a message like this, it is always a scam. Please do not mention that I have changed their message, but if you would like to waste their time, you can speak to these scammers by pressing one on your telephone keypad. All right, so that's the new outgoing message. And what's especially fun about this video is that the scammers don't realize that their outgoing message has been changed. Right. But they're wondering... Why no one's calling in anymore? Right. Yeah. They're, they're... <laughs> no. Why no one's pressing one? Why? Why their their, their percentages have bottomed out? Right. <laughs> they're going to catch on eventually. I think. Yeah, and um, they do. They do. But it takes a while. Good. Yeah. Well, I mean, every one person that gets that message is a person that they don't have the opportunity to scam. And right. if that if that sits in there for an hour. Think of the number of calls you can make with the auto dialer in an hour. Yeah, well, and uh, this video goes into that. It's really an interesting look inside a scam call center. We'll have a link for uh, the YouTube video in the show notes here. We've reached out to Jim Browning. We're hoping to get him on the show to come on and describe the types of things that he's uh, discovered and uh, the things he does to try to thwart these scammers. So uh, interesting uh, video. I I highly recommend you check it out for a look behind the scenes on this stuff. And uh, thanks to our listener for sending this to us and verifying our suspicions from last week. (laughs) Joe, uh, what do you have for us this week? Dave, I have a story from Reddit. This is actually from r slash India. Okay. which is the self-described, the official subreddit for India. Okay. Uh, and this comes from about a year ago, and it is called The Art of Cheating Travelers at Daba's. Hmm. Now, Daba is a roadside restaurant. He's a Reddit user named Deeps Mahesh. That's his username. Okay. I, I don't know if that's actually his 
real name, but that's yeah. what he's called on on Reddit. He was traveling from Hyderabad to Bangalore, which is a north to south trip right in the center of the country, pretty much. Hmm. And he was doing this on a weekday in a bus. And that's about an 11-hour bus ride hmm. from my cursory Google searches. Okay. Right? Around 11 p.m., the bus stops at this roadside restaurant, this Daba, for dinner. And before deboarding, the driver informs everybody that there's some kind of problem with the bus, and it may take an hour before they resume the journey. Hmm. So the author of this post says he goes down and he goes and grabs a table at the restaurant, and there are no menu cards anywhere. Uh, it's a very informal kind of restaurant. And he begins looking what other people are eating, and then a waiter comes over and says, chapati or rice. Okay. And that's like a bread chapati. So okay. he looks around and he sees somebody else is eating chapati and egg curry. And he says, that looks good. I'll have that. So mm. he ordered it. His food comes very quickly in about two minutes. Mm. And he's about halfway into his meal. And his table mate, who helped him decide, gets his uh, bill, right? And the waiter comes over and gave him a piece of paper, not a proper bill, but says, here's your, you know, here's your bill. And he sees him paying 120 rupees for his meal. Okay. After some time, he finishes his meal, and he gives the waiter 120 rupees, thinking that's what it was. They ordered the same thing. They both had the chapati and the egg curry. Mm -hmm. uh, and the waiter goes, sir, it's 150 rupees, and hands him a piece of paper with 150 rupees written on it. Hmm. Uh, he inquires about the guy. He says, this guy had the same thing. He paid 120 rupees. And the waiter goes, no, no, he paid 150 rupees. You're mistaken. Not wanting to make a scene, he pays... The extra 30 rupees. How much money are we we're talking about here? For those of us like me who are unfamiliar with with rupees, do you have any sense for what the exchange rate is? Is this a, it's a, it's a couple a, bucks more? Or? It's uh, 45 cents more. Okay. Which means to me that for dinner, you're paying like about two and a half bucks. Yeah. And the other guy paid maybe two bucks okay. for dinner. But the economies are very different, right? Sure, it's sure. A, it's a completely different situation. Yeah. So he goes over and he and he grabs a uh, cup of tea from a tea stand. And a few minutes later, his waiter comes out and is smoking a cigarette. And he says to the waiter, hey, you want to have some tea with your cigarette? And the waiter says, sure. And they exchanges some brief conversation. And he says, uh, he says, you know, it was beautiful the way you swindled me out of 30 rupees. And the waiter laughs and goes, you noticed, right? Hmm. So he doesn't even try to hide it. The author says, won't the owner be angry if he finds you're overcharging the customer? Because the owner sits at the at the counter of the of the daba. And the waiter laughs. He says, no, everyone in the staff is in on it. It's part of the skim money actually goes to the owner. <laughs> he says, aren't you afraid the customers will create a scene? And he goes, well, let me tell you something. Travelers are the easiest people to cheat. They're always in a hurry. They are anxious because they're in a new environment. And they won't create a scene. The best part is you won't ever see them again if they do cause a ruckus. Mm. Right? And the guy says, well, that makes sense. He says, but how do you stop yourself from getting too greedy, right? I mean, you could have charged me 200 rupees instead of just 150 rupees. He says, there's a manager for every four waiters. He oversees their activities, and action is taken if some mischievous activities are undertaken by the waiters. And it has led to termination. So if waiters overcharge too much, they'll get fired. But if they overcharge just a little bit, it's fine. It's almost accepted. The author says, what are the factors you look for when you're going to overcharge a customer? And he says... Uh, before we get into that, can you buy me some cigarettes and another cup of tea? <laughs> <laughs> and the author goes, sure. He says, I'm, you know, I'm getting good information. He says, he says, the first thing we always look for is we always look for anyone wearing fancy clothes. That's a high-value customer. And he, go, and he points to the author. He says, look at yourself. You're wearing shorts and fancy slippers, right? And the guy's wearing Crocs. Sometimes us waiters fight to serve a guy like you, he says. The second thing we look for is the number of people traveling together. Ideally, if someone is alone or traveling in a group of more than four people, these guys have the least likelihood of arguing, right? Uh, Let's mm. think about that. If you're alone, 
mm-hmm. you know, you're by yourself. You got nobody to back you up when you start a ruckus. From a social aspect, you're just by yourself and you're going to start arguing with a waiter. You know, you're going to envision like two of his buddies coming over going, no, no, this is how it is. And then you're, you're right. going to look like you're wrong. You're the stranger there right. too. So. Exactly. You're yeah. the stranger. But in groups of four people or more, that's when you start looking like a jerk to your peers. Mm. So you won't do it. But generally, if there's two or three of you, they're less likely to do it. I find that very interesting. And the waiter says, these are not hard and fast rules. You just have to get a feel for it, right? And you adapt to the conditions. He says, there was one customer who was well-dressed, but he was very cautious. He carried his laptop bag with him, and he went into the hotel, and he was asking for the price before he ordered. He says, you never scam a customer like that. Hmm. Right. That guy established the price first and that was it. So now the bus is getting ready to board. And before everything is over, the guy asks one more question. He says, aren't you afraid that I might complain? He says, this is a situation wherever you find travelers. It doesn't matter if it's a bus or railway station. We are not the only ones scamming the customers. Don't blame the tiger because the deer are weak. Is what he says. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Right. Yeah. And then he, uh, the author gets on the bus and he continues his trip. It was just an interesting exchange. What's also interesting is the very first reply on this, the very the most upvoted reply is, somebody says, the con starts with the bus itself. The bus did not stop there by chance or accident. Most likely, there were no repairs that needed to be done on the bus, and the bus driver's getting a cut, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. Mm-hmm. I traveled once abroad with a bus tour in Ireland, and we made specific stops around the area. And yes, we knew that the bus driver had made arrangements with these people to drop us off at these different places. It was part of the tour. We were going to these different places. There's a couple wool mills. There's like the Triona wool mill in in Donegal where we stopped. And then we stopped at the Blarney wool mills down in, I think, Cork. I think it's all the way in Cork. But it's not an uncommon practice for these things to happen. But we actually asked our bus driver and, and said, is there some kind of relationship you have with these places? He says, oh, yeah, we have a relationship. But, you know, the benefit is because we bring so many customers in, we get really good prices for, like, hotels and, and meals and things. Mm. So mm-hmm. it, it is a package deal and there is a relationship. I don't really have a problem with this going on in, in India either. I mean, this probably is exactly what happens. People do need to eat on the ride. It's an 11-hour bus ride. Somebody's going to get hungry. There's absolutely no reason to not stop at a place and and have a relationship with those people. Right. And I suppose if there are no prices, if there is no right. menu with listed prices, I can imagine you being up to the whims of the proprietor of the place who sizes you up and tries to see what the what the customer can bear. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and from an American standpoint, I wouldn't even argue a meal for 150 rupees for $2.50. Right. I, I wouldn't even bat an eye at that. Yeah, that's interesting. It's an interesting uh, look inside of uh, that sort of thing and I I like that phrase that you you don't blame the tiger because the deer is weak. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. My story this week is a weird one. A weird one. A weird one. That's good. <laughs> so imagine, Joe, that you are a uh, expectant mother, or perhaps you have... Uh, kind of look like an expectant mother. Uh, well, and suppose you're a, a newborn. <laughs> Joey could all afford to lose a few pounds. Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so suppose you're a, you've got a newborn at home, or you're, a, you're very close to giving birth. And uh, you're poking around on Facebook and uh, somebody pops up and they say, hey, I live near you and I'm a professional photographer and I'm trying to build out my portfolio. 
trying to move into this uh, area of taking photos of newborns and, and babies and expectant mothers and that sort of thing. I would love to take some photos of you. I will do it for free mm-hmm. in exchange for building up my portfolio. Okay. And you say to yourself, well, that sounds uh, reasonable. Yep. Sure. Come on over and uh, let's get some pictures taken of the, the, new, the new bundle of joy. Well, that is what happened, but it took a turn for the weird. Uh, Uh, There's a woman named Juliette Parker. Uh, This is in Washington State, and she has been charged with second-degree assault and attempted kidnapping charges. Mm -hmm. Prosecutors say she was only posing as a photographer, and then she drugged a mother in order to try to steal her baby. So she came to the house several times, did some photo sessions, But there were some odd things that were happening when she came over. She seemed to avoid touching anything. And if she did touch things, she would wipe them down, trying to get rid of her fingerprints. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Huh. She would only sit on the floor. She wouldn't sit on furniture. For fear of leaving a hair follicle there. Uh, Could be. Could be. Also, when she was taking pictures of the baby, she would take photos. But then she would also take a bunch of selfies with the baby. Hmm. That's kind of weird. It is very weird, right? And the police speculate that maybe she was trying to set up a time-stamped trail of photos of herself with the baby. So, in other words, you know, she's found later on with this baby, and she'd be able to say, I've been with, this is, I've known, you know, I've been with this baby for weeks. Yeah, this is my baby. Right. Right. Exactly. There's some pictures I took of me and him last month. Yeah. So evidently she did this with a bunch of different people, but there is one woman that uh, she seems to have focused on. Uh, It was a woman named Alicia Miller. Had her over several times to take pictures, and the last time that she came over, she brought her teenage daughter with her, which is interesting in that she already has a child. Right. But also brought over three different types of cupcakes, three different varieties of cupcakes. And evidently the, uh, or allegedly, I suppose, is the correct way to say it, this woman pressured the woman who had the newborn to eat one of these specific batches of cupcakes. Hmm. And she did and started feeling sick. Really? Started feeling woozy. Threw up a bunch of times. Huh. At this point, the photographer woman left. And later on, the woman who had the baby noticed that her keys were missing to the house. Really? Called the photographer, said, my keys are missing. The photographer said, oh, the, I, I found the keys uh, out on the lawn of my house and sent the keys back over with a friend, an unknown man. So this woman who uh, was not feeling well, the, the victim in all of this, who had the baby, she called 911, went to the uh, hospital, spoke to the sheriffs. Her symptoms uh, align with the date rape drugs the i you know i don't know the the roofies. technical names the roofies yeah right. yeah the kinds of things that try to you know make you woozy and and so forth and uh, the police are making the case they're alleging that uh, this photographer was out there basically shopping around to try to kidnap a baby hmm. and evidently they've interviewed an ex-boyfriend who said that this was something that she talked about that kidnapping a baby was something she was willing to do as a last resort huh now, why didn't that boyfriend raise a red flag at that point in time? I don't think the relationship lasted very long <laughs> after that. <laughs> my, my sense is that, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, he's, I believe he's uh, described as an ex-boyfriend. Right. So I don't believe the relationship lasted very long after that. You know, you know what we should do? Hmm. We should kidnap a baby. Yeah, I think we should see other people. <laughs> 
Right, right, exactly. <laughs> right. You know what would be fun to do? You know, I don't really have any plans this weekend. Let's go kidnap someone else's baby. <laughs> right. Oh, look at the time. Uh, <laughs> right. Obviously, this is disturbing and, uh, and horrible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just thinking about... That vulnerability, because many people fell for this. This woman went to many people's homes and actually took photos, gave them the photos. I think in terms of trying to to screen for this thing, in retrospect, it's easy to say, oh, there were a lot of red flags. The the way that she acted when she came to someone's house. Yeah, there are a lot of red flags in that term. But, you know, I might be willing to chalk those up to someone just being OCD. Yeah, or just a, yeah, or, or just a little peculiar. Yeah, you just know. being a little peculiar. Yeah. I don't know that that would set me off. Right. And you and I have talked about, I choose to think the best of people. So I don't right. think I would automatically, you know, if someone was reaching out or, or offering up on Facebook yeah. and said they are looking to build their portfolio, well, that sounds reasonable to me. The one thing that does, that, that would be a red flag for me is she was taking selfies with the baby. Yeah. That's unusual. That uh, there's unusual. no reason for a photographer to do that, I don't think. I also wonder, would you be better off uh, meeting at a neutral location mm. rather than inviting this person to your home? I you don't know. This situation where she tried to steal the keys, allegedly? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Because uh, if you go to a neutral location, how does that affect the idea of taking a picture of the kid? I mean, the kid needs to be a comfortable. Right, The, the baby right. needs to be comfortable. And That's true. The best place to do that is at home. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's not yeah. really something I would look at as a, uh, as a, as a fear for this. Mm-hmm. You know, it wouldn't, I wouldn't, that wouldn't have set off a red flag. Yeah. Tell the photographer that you want to meet at the local police station. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you protect yourself against this yeah. other than, uh, when somebody comes over and says, you really got to try these cupcakes. I'd be like, mm, no. <laughs> I mean, I suppose you could follow up, make sure they have a website, ask for some references. Well, they're uh, not going to have references if they're starting up. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the whole thing. This is a brilliant, brilliant scheme. Right. You it, get what you paid for. Right, exactly. Yeah, and how fortunate that uh, before she got away with what she was, again, allegedly up to, right. um, it didn't go the way that she planned, and uh, now she's uh, in trouble with the law. That's right. So, As well she should be. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, justice will be done. All right, well, that is my story for this week. It is time to move on to our catch of the day. Joe, you came up with our catch of the day this week. Do you want to describe to us what's going on here? Yes. This is a, uh, a text exchange between a scammer and uh, somebody who decides they're going to waste a little bit of scammer's time. And this comes from littlethings.com. Mm. Dave, why don't you play the part of the scammer this time, and I will play the part of the uh, recipient of the first message. All right. It starts like this. Hello, my name is Harris, and I represent a Fortune 500 company. I would like to interest you in a chance to earn $5,000 a month in the comfort of your own home. If you're interested, give this number a call, and we can discuss something. Congratulations. You have successfully subscribed to the interesting facts of the day. Here's your daily fun fact. A human's cells replace themselves over seven years. So every seven years, you're essentially a clone of yourself. To unsubscribe from interesting facts of the day, please send... Unsub IFOTD. Unsub IFOTD. Congratulations. You have unsubbed from the interesting facts of the day. We'll be sorry to see you go. We are currently in a phase of survey and testing. Would you like to take part in our survey? Send yes or no. No. You have selected no problem. Thank you for your patience. What? On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate our fun facts? W-O-T. How do I stop this? 
You have successfully subscribed to Ways of Twerking with Keywords WOT. Our current database only has Miley on it. Would you like a tutorial on the Miley way of twerking? Reply yes or no. No. You have successfully subscribed to Naughty Otters. Yeah. Here's your free daily otter picture. And it's a picture of an otter in, like, some underwear. <laughs> to unsubscribe from this service, please reply, no otters. No otters. You have successfully unsubscribed from Naughty Otters. Would you like to subscribe to Naughty Dogs? Please reply yes or no. No. You have selected no problem. Here's your daily Naughty Dog picture. It's a picture of a dog, like, cooking. <laughs> Dude, you got to stop this. I've got a business to run. I can't be checking my phone for shit like this. Thank you. You have keyed in the daily secret word. <laughs> As a reward, we'll be providing you with 80 free Naughty Dog pictures for the next 24 hours. If I ever f***ing find you, I will rip out your throat and go ham on your ass. Congratulations. You have keyed the keyword ham. Here's a picture of some sexy ham. It is a picture of a woman, like, eating ham with her pinky extended. <laughs> f*** you. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, that is a good one. <laughs> so, it's it's so, so satisfying to waste these people's time. Yeah, <laughs> it is. The frustration is palpable, isn't it? it yes, it, it is. really is. All right. Well, that is our catch of the day. Coming up next, my conversation with Tim Sadler from Tessian. We're going to be discussing the human element of cybersecurity and phishing schemes. And we are back. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Tim Sadler. He is from a company called Tessian. And we discuss the human element of cybersecurity along with uh, some details on some phishing schemes. Here's my conversation with Tim Sadler. I think for a long time, when we've spoken about securing people, we've always defaulted to training and awareness rather than thinking about how we can use technology to take the burden of security away from people. So I think there's a challenge at the moment in that humans are unpredictable. They break the rules, they make mistakes, and they're easily tricked. And that's what's leading to so many data breaches today that are ultimately caused by people and human error. And so the bad guys, knowing this, have adjusted their tactics? I think that's right. I mean, if you think about email for an organization, it is an open gateway. So uh, it is one of the only pieces of infrastructure an organization has where anybody can send anything into an organization without pre-approval. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing such a high level of threat around phishing, spear phishing, business email compromise, those kinds of attacks. It is the really the entry point for every, uh, every attacker that wants to get into an organization today. And it's so effortless to execute one of these scams. So what kind of, of things are you tracking? What, what are some of the specific campaigns that are popular these days? So I, I think, you know, we see everything from the uh, well-known trends like uh, the fact that, you know, it's it's tax season and the W9 form scams. So attackers putting malicious attachments in emails trying to get people to open them because, you know, it's tax season and that's something that everybody is watching out for. And then some of the more interesting things that we're seeing specifically are around uh, attackers scraping LinkedIn data to automate attacks based on people moving jobs. So a new joiner to an organization will, you know, is 
probably have a higher propensity to uh, be duped by a phishing scam. They won't know the protocol that an organization has in place. So we're seeing a lot of attacks that come through when people are new to an organization. It's maybe in their first or second week, and then they'll receive uh, a spear phishing email pretending to be the CFO or pretending to be the C CEO, trying to dupe them into doing something. And again, use those techniques of deception and urgency on emails. Now, what about some of the more targeted campaigns, you know, things like uh, spear phishing, even uh, you hear it referred to sometimes as whaling, where they're targeting high level people within organizations? Yeah, I, you know, I think the rise in spear phishing in these highly targeted campaigns is, is largely to do with the fact that we put so much of ourselves online now. So I read a stat recently, over 150 million uh, U.S. workers have a LinkedIn profile, which is an astonishing statistic. And what that means is it's trivial for any attacker to understand who the uh, C-suite of any organization are, and then it's trivial to then emulate or uh, spoof those identities on email. So what we're seeing is that it's really, really easy to pull off these scams. And actually, you can, for attackers, it is fairly scalable to do this. You can build a LinkedIn scraper, you can be pulling names, and you can be uh, automating um, the purchase of domains that look like legitimate domains, but in fact aren't. And then you can automate the sending of those emails into organizations. And you know the rewards from doing this kind of thing can be enormous for attackers. So I read about a charity in the UK this morning who fell victim to a spear phishing uh, scam where they lost almost a million dollars over three transactions. So it is a huge, huge payoff for these attackers when they actually, you know, they get their target to, to do the thing they want them to. What are your recommendations for organizations to best protect themselves? So I think, you know, it does start with awareness. You have to make sure that employees are aware that their inbox is dangerous and they need to pause if only for five seconds, just with every email they get and do some basic checks. So check who is this email from? Does the domain look legitimate? But really what is extremely difficult is for most organizations today, their entire security strategy is reliant on their employees doing the right thing 100% of the time. So if you are only relying on security training and awareness, there are going to be things that creep through. There are going to be attacks that are successful. And in the same way that organizations use advanced technology to secure their networks and secure their devices, we believe that organizations today need to be using advanced technology to secure their people. How does that uh, technology play out? What sort of things are you uh, describing here? In order to secure people, so again, we come back to this, this point that people are unpredictable, they break the rules, they make mistakes, and they're easily hacked. A system needs to understand the normal patterns of behavior that a person exhibits on email in order to understand what looks like a security threat and what looks like a normal email. So what organizations can do is they can use a platform like Tessian, for example, that uses machine learning to analyze historical email patterns and behaviors to understand on every incoming email, does this email look legitimate or not? And that's something that we've pioneered and we use and is much more effective than some of the traditional approaches which use rules or policies to control the flow of inbound email.
You know, it, it reminds me of a story that a, a colleague of mine shared with uh, some friends who work for a nonprofit, and they got uh, an email from the chief financial officer who had just gone on vacation, and it said, I know I realize I'm out of town, but I need you all to transfer this large sum of money, and I need it done immediately. You know, please don't let me down. And and to a person, they all said, this is the last thing in the world this person would ever say or do. And that tipped them off to the problem. It sounds like, I mean, that's a similar thing to, to how you're coming at this from a technological point point of view are looking, making sure that uh, the behavior isn't anomalous. Yeah, that's exactly right. We use machine learning in the way that uh, it's been applied to other other fields. For example, credit card fraud detection. You look at the normal spending patterns and behaviors uh, on card transactions, and then you use that intelligence to then spot the fraudulent transactions. And that's what we're doing. We're looking at normal email behavior in order to spot the fraudulent email behavior. And in the same way that you would try and train a uh, person uh, to look out for the unusual aspects of an email that that may give a clue as to whether it's a phishing email or not, uh, you can train a machine learning algorithm to do the same. Now, the difference and the advantage to doing this is that a machine learning algorithm can traverse millions and millions and millions of data points in a split second, whereas a human is only going to have a limited number of data points that they can remember or they can go back to in their mind. But where do you suppose we're headed with this? As, as you look towards the future and this this problem with email continues to, to be an issue, do you, do you suppose the, the types of things that you're offering here are going to become just a standard part of doing business? I think it's critical that organizations today uh, realize that their security strategy cannot be reliant on training people to do the right thing 100% of the time. And again, it comes back to the beginning of my career, I was working for one of the world's largest banks and saw a massive problem. And that is that banks spend millions of dollars on securing their networks and devices using advanced technology, but they completely neglect the security of their people. So instead, they're relying on training them to do the right thing 100% of the time. And that obviously doesn't work. I saw people who would send highly sensitive information to completely the wrong person. They would email documents to their personal email account, or they would fall for phishing scams. So we thought this was a huge problem that needed solving, and that's why we built the product that we're building today, because we believe that in the same way you have a firewall for your network and you have an EDR platform for your devices, we believe you need a human layer security platform to protect your people. All right, interesting stuff, huh, Joe? Yeah, a couple things stick out to me. One, your inbox is dangerous, and and Tim does a really good job of describing why that is. He calls it an open gateway because anyone, literally anyone, <laughs> can use your inbox. Yeah. And, there, and he's right, there's nothing else. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> when you think about it that way, it doesn't make sense. That shouldn't be the case. Uh, I was thinking about this because I recently, you know, you get private messages on Twitter. Right. And uh, I have my Twitter configured so that if you're not someone who I also follow, right. they get filtered and they don't automatically come through. I have to approve them. Yeah, I think that's the way it is. The only thing you can say is I don't want anything from anybody I don't follow or go ahead and allow it, but then they have a request. Right. It seems like that would be a, a reasonable thing over in the email world. But yeah. as we know, email is ancient. It and is. <laughs> it's, it's a very old and terrible system. Um, that we're stuck with. That we're stuck with for right. some reason. And right. we can't, there's got to be a new way to do this. You know, somebody out there listening. Maybe the next generation will yeah. just not stop using it and <laughs> that'll be that. It's a new million dollar idea. Right, right. If you are relying on security training alone, Tim makes this point that you're going to get compromised. Mm. Uh, and, and that is 100% true. You need a holistic security plan or solution that at least includes technology, 
policy and user training. Mm-hmm. You know, your users have to be trained on both the technology and the policy. These email business compromises, a lot of them can be stopped by good policy. You know, like when the CFO says, I need you to transfer this money now, if, you're, if your corporate policy is to place a phone call back to the CFO, then that will stop a lot of these. Mm-hmm. Get if multiple everybody, people to sign off on things. Multiple people things sign like off that. on things, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those kind of things can go a long way towards stopping these kind of compromises. Right. I also found it interesting that he's saying attackers are targeting people who are new to an organization on LinkedIn. I don't want to sound like I'm praising the attackers, but that's actually pretty smart. You go into a new organization, you're really not familiar with things. If you have a lot of responsibility there, then they give you the keys to the kingdom right away, then you are a very vulnerable target. Right. For these these scraping uh, attacks. You don't want to disappoint your new coworkers. Right. Somebody makes a request via email. Yep. You might not know who that person is. Right. Yeah. Exactly. My recommendation for this is when you change jobs, don't update your LinkedIn right away. Hmm. You know, wait for a couple of uh, months so you get settled in, then go ahead and update your LinkedIn. 150 million U.S. workers are on LinkedIn. In January of 2018, the U.S. labor force was 160 million. That's a large percentage. Now, <laughs> not everybody on LinkedIn is still in the workforce. Like, I'm connection with people who I know have retired. I actually have some connections I know have passed away mm, on, mm-hmm. on LinkedIn, but their LinkedIn accounts are still there. Uh, so they're probably in that 150 million. But that's a very large percentage yeah. of people that have professional positions here in the U.S., that are on LinkedIn. It is unusual to search for someone on LinkedIn and not have them come up. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.